Welcome to King Size, a Stephen King podcast for obsessives by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Okay, so listeners, welcome to an extraordinary episode of King Size, where we are enthralled to be joined by one of the finest actors working today. He's been involved in numerous Stephen King adaptations, can currently be seen as Dr. Dean Archer in NBC's mega hit Chicago Med. Oh, and he only happened to be the heart, the voice and the soul of the greatest audiobook of all time, It. Constant listeners, please welcome to the show the legend that is Mr. Stephen Weber. Sir, how the hell are you doing? Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to me. Uh, I'm after, after that ridiculously, um, you know, effusive introduction, I'm, how could I be? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out after this show and just kind of, I'm going to kill people randomly and just kind of pull fruit off of fruit stands and just do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> That's it. You can do what you want. You've got the license to do it. Oh. You're quite right. You know, it's a get out of jail free card. Exactly. Yeah, and you gave him the license. <laughs> yeah. Now, this man was born with a license. Come on. Oh. <laughs> so, Stephen, I have spent the well a good section of the last couple of weeks just in your wonderful company you didn't know it but i've no. spent 44 hours of my life just listening to you narrate what i genuinely do think is an absolutely extraordinary it's not it performance seems the wrong word because you're not performing it you are just absolutely in it and the connectivity is astonishing the audiobook of it so why don't we kick off there for a little bit just tell us if you can a little bit about how you got that gig and what it was like for you recording yeah well first thank you for your kind words um I, I had been doing a bunch of audio uh, books and I still do them. Um, and uh, I think it came to me because of my affiliation with, with Stephen King. I had done The Shining, a TV uh, series version of The Shining and uh, Desperation. And uh, I, I wrote and directed uh, an episode of this, uh, of a reboot of The, the Outer Limits. And, um, and I did a, a small version of... Um, a short story that he had written um, called uh, Revelations of Becca Paulson, which is in a collection of, of uh, horror stories and fantasy stories I found in an anthology in some bookstore. And so I guess based on that, th it, this came my way, and I'm obviously glad it did because it has become since one of the things I'm, of which I'm most proud. And... Um, and as you do uh, with an audio book, you sit on your ass for 
hours, you know, six, seven hours a day, and you read. Um, and uh, in this case, I had the fortune of good fortune of reading that amazing book. I had not reread it, so I basically cold read it. Wow. And um, and it took roughly two weeks and um, six six plus hour days and um, and what happens is you become immersed in it and uh, as I think I did I mean I, I again you said very kind things about the book and about my performance mm -hmm. but I I would be um, I'd be surprised if anybody reading that out loud in a booth didn't kind of become imbued with all of King's nuances and all the characters and all that stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I just felt licensed to go deep and to kind of indulge myself in a way that I, I thought would be good for this book. I mean, it sounds kind of vague, but uh, look, it was a great experience. And, and, and it gave me a little bit of a snapshot of, of how he writes or how I suspect he writes mm -hmm. because it's such a dense, heavily detailed book. I can't imagine. I mean, can you imagine what the prep for this book must have been like as, 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 as long as lengthy as this story in this book is, yeah. could you imagine all the, the details and all the pre-writing and whatever the hell he does and research must've been 10 times that 1200 page book. Yeah. Well, so. But but it also sounds, Stephen, like there's a real synergy between, you know, because King says that often he, you know, he out, outlines maybe just 10 pages ahead, but that's about it. He lets the characters surprise him, take him where they may. Um, and he's that's why I think he's he's so in the moment as an author. And it sounds like going in and doing a cold read, there was elements of that as well, perhaps in in once you were in the studio. Right. Oh, you might be right. Um, you're you're swept along uh, the the kind of the river that he's provided, and um, keeping with that <laughs> torque of metaphor, I'm just a rubber raft, or <laughs> being and you get you get swept along, and uh, and after a while, you develop a facility. Again, keeping this metaphor going to paddle and to steer the various, you know, at his endurance. And, uh, and and the thing is that that I found uh, that the more I stayed with it, as I was contractually obliged to do, mm. uh, the more I um, became a part of it in a way. I mean, yeah. not, kind of not unlike a Stephen King character who becomes caught up in the, you know, in the world and the spirits and the emotions and the dynamism of, of wherever he or she is at. Yeah. So that kind of happened to me. And, and, um, and, and also he's shockingly accessible as a writer, it's mm. not like you're reading things that you can't relate to. I mean, yeah, obviously there's horrifying imagery and scary imagery, yeah. but a lot of it has to do with you know, shit that we experience every day. You know? mm. Yeah, so it wasn't that hard in a sense. Yeah, we we found that doing the reread uh, of it that some of the things that were most that, that sort of moved us the most deeply were things that were, as you say, very commonplace. Yeah. The, whole, the whole section of um, the child abuse yeah. in, in, in one family absolutely broke my heart. Yeah. So poignant, some, some of that stuff, but it's, it's horrifyingly common. Yeah, I guess so. And, and why, yes, it's widespread. And, and also it's, it's sort of, um, 
everybody's familiar with it through the stories that we hear every day that I guess have been, you know, perpetuated maybe salaciously too, you know, mm. I mean, um, it's, it's such a, if it, if it, if it bleeds, it leads kind of story. It's, it's always uh, uppermost in, in, in the news feed in a way. There's some story that's easily found, but he seems to be able to, to plumb these issues you know, kind of beautifully in a weird way. I mean, that, that's what I found when, when, when I worked on The Shining years before, is that it, it's less about a scary house with demons and more about alcoholism and more about addiction and more about loss and more about self-loathing and more about all these things that he was experiencing as a young guy who, as, who was very open about his alcoholism. And that was clearly what it was about. Yeah. I think very much we we felt that we did an episode on on The Shining um and you know that novel is absolutely as you said addresses all all of those issues and those ho- the most horrifying aspect of that is for me it's it's nothing to do with uh, an external horror it, it it's this man struggling with those demons and that moment where you know he has that loses his temper has that sees red with his son breaks yeah. his arm. And from that moment, it's like that line in the sand that he, he's crossed. Yeah. That along with a hell of a lot of wasps that we're both absolutely petrified of. I mean, that that was nasty. That's still... Uh... <laughs> wasps. Yeah. 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 Wasps were, were nasty. Yeah, oh. nasty. Yeah, nasty. You're just you're... being spirited, bad-tempered. There's wasps. nothing good about it. They contribute they nothing wasps. to the world. Get yourself guns and shoot every wasp in the world. <laughs> shoot every bug with a gun. That's what we like to do here in the United States. Who's with me? <laughs> hey, we're with you, man. I, we've got one of those. Uh, it's called the Executioner. And it's a tennis racket that you press oh, a button yeah. and it gives that electric charge. My kids love it, right? I'm, I think Fantastic. I'm bringing them up in the right way. <laughs> That's good parenting, right? <laughs> Great for crabs, too. <laughs> yeah that'll give you a little thrill uh, if you <laughs> that will definitely teach you a, a lesson so absolutely so Stephen, you know as you said he's writing so beautifully about these emotions and these human aspects that we can all relate to and and, and that is just peppered throughout Derry and throughout the this incredible story in it um did you find I mean I know as you said you did two weeks of really full-on six seven hour days were you able to leave Derry behind or did it kind of have trace elements within you afterwards I mean look I mean I I mean I'm 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 no Brando <laughs> but uh, I, I guess one can't immerse oneself without bringing some trace elements back you know, at, at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, um, I, I, what I was alluding to earlier was that I really felt like I was getting a glimpse into his process, into his creative process, his writing process, and that's what sort of stuck with me. Mm. I felt like um, I had a chance to view the process kind of from the inside out because it, it wasn't a passive read. It was a very active and involved read on, on my part. And, yeah. um, uh, and, and, and that, that's because of his writing, which allows you to go in there and, and chew on everything and experience everything. Very kind of sensual or sensorial, sensorial kind of a, I don't know what the word is, experience. And 
you know, I, I got the feeling that he kind of goes into a room and figuratively, I know it's 2022, but my mind is still back in the 80s and 90s. And it's just <laughs> a Polaroid of everything. <laughs> and, yeah. And was able to kind of like take it. And of every part of a room, every angle, every angle, and assemble it kind of a huge mosaic and somehow assemble the details that that perpetuated the story best. I, I felt like he, I mean, there were some things that seemed almost inconsequential. I was like, wait, why are we studying this molecular aspect of a story or of a place? Or, and, but it, it's all... Um, it's all in the service of perpetuating the story. And, and, uh, mm. and that was exciting for me. It was mm. exciting. I, I felt like I was getting a, a tutorial in Stephen King right there as I was, you know, performing and enjoying it and all that stuff. There was something else afoot. And that's kind of what I walked away with, really. Uh, and Steve, if you, so, you know, you're, you're there in the studio. And, and for those of us that are just, you know, uh, fascinated in knowing the mechanics of it, you know, you are giving this incredible performance and you know it is turned up turned up to 11 you know nuanced and beautiful but it's absolutely full of that energy and passion have you got a director directing you just give us a sense of what's actually going on in those days uh when you're bringing it to life yeah uh you're literally in a kind of a sound baffled box you are in a it's not a big open studio i would say it's probably I don't know, five by five or four by five. Uh, and you have a microphone and you have all this sound baffling and padding around you. And there's a glass window where you can see an, either an engineer or a director. In this case, we did have a director. Mm. And it's so long ago that I, I'm sorry, I cannot remember his name. But um, he was there to kind of guide me and keep me on track to keep me uh, going in terms of pace Obviously, there are mispronunciations and slurring. Um, yeah. I was so drunk. No. <laughs> yeah. and, um, well, listen, you got to keep the voice lubricated, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, and you know, it's sort of there's protein and and carbs and, and gin, as we all know. <laughs> exactly. Just to drink pints of Guinness. I mean, it's a meal in a glass anyway, right? Guinness, that's right. It's like having um, it's like having bread, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, have Guinness, I have a Guinness story with my ex brother in law. He because he took me, but that's another story. And he took me on a Guinness on a on a on a pub crawl, and and it ended just as he warned me it would. But that's <laughs> a disgusting story. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but uh, but anyway, so you're sitting in this soundproof box with this um, this gentleman or gentlewoman behind a, a glass, and in a way, it's like being in a womb, if you must, mm. uh, because then it gives you permission to become vulnerable mm. and um, and and let loose. Nobody's really watching you apart from these people, and they're they're mostly listening. They're not watching, mm. and that turns out to have been very freeing. Again, I have to credit this the writing itself and and also one reason why i'm happy to talk to you guys about it because i'm so proud of it it was oh. such, a, such a big thing for me personally and also as an actor who you know yeah. i I, I'm, I always call myself you know I'm, I'm i'm light end you know i'm a light entertainer i i you know i i aspire to be deep and all that stuff but <laughs> the path has been my path has been mostly jaunty kind of you know uh, mm. uh I don't know, just just more simplistic stuff. But this was a deep dive for me. Yeah. This was my the deepest I've been, and 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 that it was on audio was interesting too. 
because it gives me and it gives the audience, I guess, uh, the ability to to imagine me in roles and situations that I would never have been cast in, mm. given who I am and what I look like. Um, um, and so, again, there was a great deal of freedom in this. It, it, I had a, I experienced a great deal of freedom in this tiny confinement in a yeah. way, altered states in a way. You just keep going and your mind is, is expanding. I know it sounds trippy, but it's kind of what happens after a while. <laughs> Man, yeah, it, it sounds like this is complete, as you said, almost womb-like, you know, you're confined, but it sounds like one of the most expansive experiences of your life, right? Well, you're, you're wearing headphones yeah. and you're able to get to, it, it's like you're, you become, you go inside your head. Yeah, and you become the voice that's in your head that you're either trying to kind of shunt aside on a normal day while you're socializing <laughs> with people and you're trying to purchase things. What's trying to talking to you? Like you stink, you stink, or you know. <laughs> and um, but but you're able to indulge all that and go pretty deep. Yeah, and I can understand it. Why it might be a trippy experience because you say you're you're confined in this in this room i when i read um it this time round i you know read it in little sort of bite sized chunks and i might read for i don't know 30 45 minutes at a, at a time but i wouldn't be reading it out loud right um and in and in reading it out loud it's obviously a completely different experience mm. and it is going to feel an awfully lot more Alive, I think I, I would imagine that, as you say, the characters would would, would feel more real to you, and yeah. of, and in it, you're going to be voicing some pretty trippy characters. Yeah, no doubt. And 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 I have to say that having seen the uh, I guess the original TV series, uh, I guess from the '80s, with brilliant Tim Curry, yeah, John Ritter, um, you know, you you have I, I thankfully had a lot of those images in my head. They were they were good references. You know, it's hard to even with the great recent uh, 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 movies uh, mm. that were, that were made. It's hard not to see Pennywise as Tim Curry. At least that's me. That's me too. I, you know, I mean, it's really superb. And look, is it uh, Skarsgård? Alexander Skarsgård is phenomenal, right? I mean, it, it was great, and I loved those movies. Truly terrifying. Uh, but there's something iconic about that original series, and it really helped me. It gave me good handholds mm. in a way. Um, uh, that helped me kind of stay there, and, and uh, mm. I, I didn't have to do um, you know, that much. What am I trying to say? You know what? I'll just end that statement in, <laughs> in the middle of it, because I, I, can't, I can't resolve. <laughs> I just bail. We'll just, yeah, jump out, jump out. It's okay. No, no, no. So long. Goodbye, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. boys. <laughs> but that's the thing, is it? I mean, we were saying, I mean, Tim Curry, you know, such so iconic within that role. And for a lot of people, you know, it is about a clown. It's about Pennywise. You've got, you know, for those that, you know, don't know it in depth, how did you approach it? You know, knowing that there is this, you know, a lot of people associated with a particular actor. And as we know, both Cy and I are actors as well. And you know what it's like, you, you play roles that have been played before by people and you bring your spin, your take on it. Right. What was it like approaching such an iconic role such as Pennywise, but also what Curry had done previously? Well, you sort of answered it. I mean, and as actors, don't you all, don't we all kind of watch something or experience something 
and we, at least I do, I reinterpret it. You know, mm. I, if I were, if I were there, this is how I would say it. And of course, piggybacking on the, uh, on, on the performance I'm just experiencing or witnessing in somebody else, I kind of, uh, I, I cheat, you know, they've done all the heavy lifting. Now I can do all the, all the nuanced kind of yeah. twisting of the, of the, you know, and, uh, of the tones and, and make it more. So, so that's kind of what I did, but I did discover, at least in doing the, the voice of Pennywise, as I recall, I went in a slightly different direction. I, I found myself in a um, kind of a weird John Houston kind of place <laughs> where I, where I, I guess, go myself. I wanted to scare myself. I really did. I wanted mm. to see if I could do something that would trigger a, a kind of a, fear response in myself, believe it or not. Again, I'm not, I'm not that thoughtful an actor, but uh, it, this, was, this was an opportunity to go to those places that I occasionally go to late at night if I'm on the internet and I make the mistake of going down a, you know, uh, a wormhole on YouTube that is about <laughs> yeah. ghosts or something like that, or, or um, uh, voice recordings of the dead. You know, that's a big mistake. <laughs> You know, and <laughs> that's going to help you sleep. <laughs> oh, well, even yeah. if it's yeah. garbage and it's <laughs> crap, I, it will still trigger some kind of nascent terror in me. Yeah. So I sort of tried to go to a place, especially with Pennywise, that was like that. That, that um, yeah, that, and, and it was really fun. It, yeah. It's not something that you, um, or one or an actors or most actors have the opportunity to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, who's going to play every role in one of these books? Who's who's going to be cast as every role in a story? You know, you're not Peter mm -hmm. or Alec Guinness or any of that. You know, and you don't play tons of characters anymore. You know, you yeah. just, just don't do that. Yeah, Myers does it maybe. <laughs> you definitely got the sort of the spirit of Stephen King, in, as you say, sort of um, trying to scare yourself because that's exactly what he does when he writes. From what ah. I understand, he's trying to sort of delight, surprise, and scare himself. Mm, yeah. I think first and foremost, he's not. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't describe himself as an inher inherently selfish man, but he does say, you know, I'm kind of in this to to scare myself. Right. It's not as if oh. the audience doesn't matter, but if I can scare myself, then I must be on the right. I must be on the right path. Yeah, and, and clearly he is because there's you know, billions of people who. Are on the same frequency as he as he is, and are as scared by the same things that he is. So, yeah, yeah you know, it, it was. I, I got to say, it was um, this this particular project was, like I say, as deep as I've ever been uh, yeah. able to go, and it was really a great luxury because I I don't really have those opportunities that much. The scene where you, as Pennywise, the old lady scene <laughs> with Beverly Marsh, which is. Uh terrifying where you go into the voice where we realize hang on this isn't a nice old lady this is oh not yeah i had Good. nightmares about that you did your job and then some it was and i was listening to that section i remember so clearly i was walking my dog and it was a beautiful sunny day because we've had this strange thing of actually having sun in the uk recently yeah, I and i felt goosebumps cold all over it also it also shows you how how successful that the, the medium of radio is, you know, yeah. how uh, audio is. Um, and and I, I've always listened to a lot of uh, old time and classic radio and, you know, I still love listening to recordings of The Goon Show and all that stuff. But also my sons, 
um, uh, and you know, and I worked with Martin Jarvis, who's a great English oh, actor, yeah. director, mm-hmm. you know, and and I've done a number of productions of him uh, with him. And uh, I remember when my sons were young. I mean, they might have been maybe ten and eight and ten, or or ten and eleven, and and, uh, and I would listen in the car, taking them to school, to this. Uh, radio show called uh, Dragnet and Dragnet was, I don't know, it was in the UK, but Dragnet was a, um, a very kind of terse, realistic depiction of, uh, you know, cops and cops and robbers in the, I want to say the fifties and forties in Los Angeles. And I got to tell you, man, my sons would not get out of the car until the episode was over because it was so gripping, so engaging. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just find that the audio as a as a medium yeah. is so powerful. It really, literally gets inside your head. So you can be walking a dog, or you can be driving, you can be, and suddenly it it whisks your imagination. It kind of rips it. It hijacks it, and yeah. you're there. You're there if you allow yourself to go there. And yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's that thing, isn't it? Of I remember I heard someone once say that yeah, any audience member be it you know listening to radio audiobooks film tv reading if you dedicate yourself to what someone else has made it's kind of an act of love right you know that act of love has been made but you're also doing that because you're giving your time and you're giving your loyalty and it's that thing of with what you did with the audiobook you know again the length of time 44 hours with you doing your voice in people's ears bringing all those characters to life. It's incredibly uh, intimate by the nature of yeah. it, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like, uh, it's like audio copulation. You know? <laughs> yeah, that was it. And that's why I can't go to that golf club anymore to take the golf dog for club. a walk because, you know, they're like, look, you got to put your trousers back up, man. You know, you can't that's be doing right. that in the, in broad daylight. I mean, God, people are... Really so- great talking to you guys. Yeah, thanks, I guess, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Great work. Right, you great screwed work. up another one. I wish did, you the did best. I, did I overshare? Yeah. <laughs> no self-control. Oh, that's that, it, man. Is this also a video? Is this a video podcast too, or is this just audio? Just because, audio, but we can, okay, we can do the videos. <laughs> well, no, because I, I just, I realized like in the back of my, you know, in the background is a tub of antiseptic wipes that are still, you know, from, from those Warm and cozy COVID days. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, you know when you when you I always when I'm doing the Zoom stuff, I always take care to look in people's you know people's backgrounds, and I'm seeing you know, and that's the thing that my eye goes to. And and then you build an impression <laughs> based on all right, this guy, this, this fucking actor has he keeps antiseptic wipes and it's what the fuck is that? <laughs> And then we build that narrative, don't we? That confirmation right. bias. That's all you have. That's right. That's so now it, yeah. all I have of you is dropping your pants around your door. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you know, it, it, again, I was talking about an act of love. Maybe that was the wrong phrase. Yeah, I did wonder if that was an unfortunate <laughs> turn of phrase. That's the type of thing you say to a judge. It was an act of love, you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Andy Dufresne must have said that, right? At some point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
it's interesting because Sai and I have both come at Stephen King from uh, his world from different angles. Sai, I think, you know, a lot of his work, you've come up from the film angle. For me, it's more that the novels was the first time I experienced them. Mm. And then recently, and especially during the pandemic, where it was audiobooks, I really fell in love with listening to audiobooks, you know, the books. Um, and, and I think King in particular, as you say, the way he writes, he sounds in the hands of someone like yourself, someone like Frank Muller. Oh, He's, oh my he was the greatest. He, he does a he does a, a Moby Dick that was, mm. I mean, and that's a that's as dense as they come. Yeah, but you become transported by his kind of really deep, rich kind of tones, and he was really he was amazing. Just such an intimacy with it, you know, because you do build that connection. Because you might watch a film or see a stage play and go, oh, I don't like that actor, but there's maybe eight others I do. Here, there's a lot resting on your shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and, and also I find it interesting that I would say that, with, of course, ex- exceptions, a lot of King's work is less effective visually. It's, mm. it's more effective to read or to maybe hear. Mm. Um, and because and a bunch of his films didn't capture the breadth of, and the nuance of, what, of how he writes and the stories he tells. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to that, like, you know, I want to say even Kubrick's Shining, which is a controversial thing, but and, 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 and Carrie and, uh, is successful. Um, i trying to think what else. And, you know, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was thinking Shawshank, uh, Green Mile capture it. I, I think Green some Mile, of those, yeah. The Green Mile captures a lot, you know. Green Mile was, a, a, that, that was, a, I, I feel like they learned from previous attempts at trying to film uh Stephen King novel yeah. that they they did everything they they didn't they didn't make judicious cuts or anything thinking the audience will be less entertained unless we get them to it quickly no the yeah. audience Stephen King is there for all of Stephen King they don't need to be manipulated by people who are looking at their watch or or you know, yeah. the box office totals they're there for King they want every pixel every every detail um, yeah. To- and, and sometimes I, I don't know about you guys, but I find the further it maybe it drifts away from the source material, the the, the less impactful. You know, it was, I was saying to Sai the other day, it was incredible listening to Frank Muller do the audiobook of Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank, and I was like, oh my god, it'd been a while since I'd read it. I'm like, so much of what you see in that screen, you know, Morgan Freeman's beautiful dialogue, it's it's all there. It's, it's all, all there. there. You know, get busy living, get busy dying. The Pacific have no has no memory. I, I mean, it's, it's all there in the page. Yeah. Um, you know, everything you need is is written there, right? Yeah, it's true, and it has it makes more of a lasting impact, I think, mm. than uh, than some attempt to kind of boulderize or edit uh, Stephen King for the screen. You know, for again for visual purposes or to match the um, attention span of of audiences. That's a mistake. Yeah. Well, I think Stephen King, he said, he said in the past, look, if people want to um, make TV shows or want to adapt my, my work into movies, you know, I don't have necessarily have a, any kind of problem with it because it's going to come through the lens of that writer or director or that cast. And I'm happy if, if, if it changes some aspects of it, but I want to keep the heart and soul of the thing. If you capture that, 
great fantastic well done it's just got a new kind of got a different look because somebody else was moved by it but they've also got the essential spirit of it which yeah. is why he was so um outspoken about stanley kubrick's the shining yeah. so it's, you've missed the point yes yeah. it's different yes it's um it's yours but by the same token it's not it doesn't have the heart of the story that i wanted to tell interesting yeah that's fantastic you know in that case it was almost like a it's almost like his story and he himself was mugged by kubrick you know um, <laughs> and, of all, and you know of all the people that you ever have to get mugged by that would be the one that i would choose i suppose but <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't what he wrote it wasn't it wasn't no. and, and it was such a in that case such a heartfelt story such mm -hmm. a deep and mm -hmm. and widely influential story um that was turned that was kind of taken from him and turned into a you know a widely influential Kubrick story. It's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's not Stephen King's The Shining. So what I mean, what, so but what did you think of the recent um, the films? Uh, you know, with Bill Hader and 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 um, and and Skarsgård and and uh, what did you yeah. think of those? Well, it's, it's interesting because so I hadn't seen the miniseries until the last couple of months for when we did so so we've done a five a five part read along of it over this year and then we were like right once you've done the novel let's look at the films and then let's let's look at the audiobook so i'd not done the mini series so my first encounter with pennywise was bill skarsgård right. and those films Alexander bill, yeah. Uh, yeah and um we saw it together, Cy and I, in the UK. A, a really cool couple of cinemas, uh, you know, kind of late late night showing, and everything there just was really really captured us. Yeah. Interestingly enough, going back and we've just done part one. We're due to do our recording on part two this week. I think we used the word admired, didn't we, Cy? We felt like we both admired mm -hmm. it, but mm. it didn't on repeated viewings have the impact. That it had the first time we saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I seem to remember that the experience of seeing mm. both parts was a, a fantastic memory. Um, and I really enjoyed seeing both of the films. Um, and they had some really creepy, scary moments. And yeah. I think part two, I'm going to relive some of them as well. Mm. But watching the miniseries um, back in. Um, back in the late late eighties, early nineties, that was one of my first introductions to Stephen King material. Yeah, interesting. So, so I came at it more from the from the visual, certainly before the writing. So, the, the, that performance of Tim Curry's uh, had a, you know had a, had a huge impact on me. Yeah. I was always trying to replicate that voice and some of his turns <laughs> of phrases and, and things like that. Um, and it is. I, I think I read something online somewhere that suggested that Tim Curry's performance almost transcends the TV series itself. Mm, interesting. It's such, a, such a big sort of, yeah. def, not definitive, because obviously um, Bill Skarsgård did a really good Pennywise by doing something completely different. Mm. Yeah. Which is, as you said, when you were uh, approaching Pennywise, the way to go. You sort of, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to try and do the same thing. I'm going to make it mine because it's me that's doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and yeah, I really enjoyed the experiences of seeing both films. But as Matt says, on kind of on a repeated viewing, 
Um, I didn't find it, def- I definitely found it engaging, but not as scary. Yeah. Right, right. I, think you know, so, yeah. I just don't wonder what, how much is that, that's to do with the cinema experience. Yeah. Mm. Being in a big darkened room with a, you know, a group of other people who are all there <laughs> for exactly the same reason, right. hoping, hoping to be scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a kind of communion, isn't there? Always says that, yeah. you know, you're all there for, we were saying that sometimes it feels like King's natural home where, you know, on the screen is the small screen, you know, kind of giving it like a, a lot of episodes, like Mr. Mercedes, Brendan Gleeson, being able to take time to really go into it. Um, there's also there's also a part uh, in It, which uh, I remember, uh, which is a rather uncomfortable and lengthy uh, sexual sequence. Mm. We were going to ask you about that. Yeah. Very controversial. Um, again, it's been ages since I've read or even, I don't think I've listened to It uh, in ages, if at all, really. But um, yeah. You know, and that that's that's an interesting part of the story, an interesting part of the book. And it'd be great. I'd love to hear Stephen King. Maybe you have heard him speak about it um, because it is something that's there for a reason. Mm. And obviously we can ascribe all sorts of meaning to it, mm. but it's still something that causes discomfort, even in the talking about it. I mean, and certainly in the, in the recording of it, I found myself, you know, in this... <laughs> in this situation where I have to go for it. And, uh, and, and cause that's, that's, that's part of, again, that's what I was contractually obliged to do. And, yeah. and, um, and, and not just on paper, it was also kind of a, that kind of a psychological contract you have with this story is going to take you into a place of deep discomfort. Yes. Uh, and that, that kind of goes to our core, the particular, yeah. and like I say, it's been ages. I don't really remember the, you know, the details of that particular sequence, but I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. And if you want to, if you want to talk about it, um, and what well, its place is and how it's aged, if it has, or, yeah. if, or, or you know, if it's value, even in today's mm-hmm. landscape, which is tricky. Well, I, I think from my point of view, what I love about that section is that, and you did it on the audiobook is, as you said, you have to go for it, but you were re- there was a real tenderness vocally in your tone throughout that section. So when I hear it, it's it really brought to life that that passage is again, it's Bev saying, "Look, I love you." And all of them say, "I love you, I love you, I love you." It's an act to bring this group that's together at the very time they need to be completely as one. Otherwise, that's it. They're going to fall apart. And actually, I, I thought it was incredibly beautiful and incredibly romantic because mm. they are they love each other. And that's the last yeah. thing they say to each other. I love you. I love you. And so your tone was so tender with it. I think the controversy with it is, of course, that obviously the age, if it wasn't for right. that age, uh, you know, then this would actually there would be no not that much controversy about it. I think it's a really beautiful scene. And I think it's really important that it's there. Um, I don't know Sorry, what, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, it's yeah. The reason it's controversial, as you say, is because it's it's an act that's happening between children, and I can completely understand the controversy surrounding it. It's obvious, but one of the points that we talked about when we were doing the the read along, one of the things that that struck me is how much um, responsibility the kids have to take 
for their lives, for themselves, for each other and for their town. And, and one of the points that both the miniseries and the films, obviously taken from the book, are, uh, are definite about making is how shut down and how much of the um, how how much how shut down the adults are and how much they ignore the problem and how much they turn away. So what you've got is adults not behaving like adults and not taking responsibility. So the kids have to do it. Mm. So the the kind of act that they then um, take in order to to re bring themselves together to make sure that they are one unit against Pennywise, which is yeah. something that normally adults, which is reserved for adults, they do quite naturally, not perversely, not right. in any kind of harmful way, because they have to. Mm. Because it has, you know, it's 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 that ultimate act of of love, really. Mm. And they're behaving like adults because that's what they've had to do right. throughout the entire story because the adults won't behave like adults. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think one of the things that the film did... Sorry, go on. No, 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 you go ahead. You go ahead. The, uh, one of the things the film did really well for me was to kind of take the essence of that and just mm -hmm. put it in one moment when um, when Bev is still hypnotised and Ben sort of takes his, a, a moment of courage and kisses her. Mm -hmm. And it snaps yeah. her out of the, the, the hypnosis. And for me, that has exactly the same essence of story, I think. Right, that that scene has in the book. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that um, that that sequence is a, was a really risky one for King to have written. Mm. Must have been very aware of how it would be perceived by people who are not going to go on the ride along with him, you know, yeah. or or have, or have certain expectations just to be scared by this story. You know, it's mm. what we're talking about at the outset, that his stories are way deeper than um, going into a, a, a scary fun house. They, yeah. they are that, but they're, they're way deeper. And so his, his use of that, of that sequence was very risky, very yeah. daring, because he dared to go to the primal. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, when people don't want to go to the primal, and also that particular type of behavior is is obviously so um, exploited. It's exploited so yeah. widely and so horrifically. So that was that. You know, it, it's kind of a strange choice for him to make. In, mm -hmm. in, a, in a way, you know, you describe the, the the kiss with Bev in the movie as. Mm -hmm just as just as ex, uh, expressive of, of maybe what king was trying to get a point uh, get a, get across a rather um you know maybe maybe at the end of the day it would have been less distracting possibly maybe to me and maybe to other people had mm. it not been as explicit had it not been as mm. or had it had had it been more simplified as you described it in in the films you know mm. i don't know but that's not what he's about you know <laughs> He's a, he's a risk taker, isn't he? And he's a risk taker, you know, and in un and in unconventional ways. And that's yeah. great in a way. Yeah. I wonder if it's something that the writing can get can not get away with, but can um I know can, can blend in more. Sure. Yeah. Well, but by the time you get to that, you've already if you've it's not something that you just open up mm. 
go right to that. If you did that, then you'd have a completely different uh, understanding of what the book is or yeah. uh, feel about what it is. But if you're, by the time you get there, everything you just said about there having to, uh, having to have been, uh, having to have behaved like adults for so long that this sort of makes perfect thematic and emotional and psychological sense. You know, so yes, you're along for the ride. So it's more than acceptable. It's necessary. Yeah. And, and I, do, I think you can get away with stuff in the written word because, you know, the way it would get portrayed is in, if they shot that in the films, then you probably get loads of people walking out and that becomes the headline, right? In the, same, in the same way that like American Psycho becomes the headline about oh, how horrific it is. But in the, on the page, it's so funny and you get away with so much. And yeah, it's a great performance by Christian Bale. But I think there is more leeway in the written word by the nature of it. Um, and there's less headlines about it. Yeah. But films um, flatten out concepts they flatten they they, they yeah. remove in a way because uh, you're literally watching a two-dimensional presentation yeah. but books audio and the visual you know reading is a uh, you're you're into you go way beyond the senses you're way deep into your kind of inner inner your inner verse yeah mm. yeah well, you're kind of casting it, aren't you? When, like, when you read a book, oh, yeah. you are the you're the casting director, you're the director, you're yeah. everything. It's your sh it's your show, it's your deal, and you can. It's one of the few times I think in life that you can do that without someone going, "Hey, have you thought about doing it like this?" It's like, <laughs> yeah, fuck off. This is I'm running this. All right. Yeah. Um, there is, but again, it's also in it with you know Henry and you know the abuse he has that's come down from his father that then has, you know, this lack of nurture has created this kid that's much more complex than just a typical bully, you know. Um, but he is, you know, the, the, the racism, the use of the N-word, the way he treats Mike, you know, it's really shocking to read. It's really shocking to hear when, when I listen to you do it in the audio book. It's kind of really vital that it's there as well. How was, I mean, your thoughts on that, but how was that having to, even though it's a character, have those words, have that vitriol in your mouth? Yeah. It, look, it, it's, it's discomforting uh, and, and also oddly freeing, you know. Again, <laughs> the, not, not that I have this in me that I'm desperate to get out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, King leads you down roads that you would never want to go down but for the sake of the story, for the sake of this world that we're all in agreement upon, that we've all made a pact that we're going to experience. This is what's necessary. This is what is fundamental. It, you, if he's taking the risk, you have to take the risk along with him. So I had to. I mean, I, uh, and, and it just, it, it taught me, that even as an actor, I have to, not that I do this all the time or hardly ever, but I have to imbue it with as much depth and fearlessness as possible. Um, uh, and look, and this book allows you, and this, this medium allows you to do that. Uh, TV doesn't. Yeah. And, uh, and um, maybe it shouldn't, you know, because, uh, because uh, viewers need to, and listeners need to have, need to take responsibility too. Mm. They need to trust the art that they're about to digest. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things is that if they were, like we were talking about a second ago, if they were to film that sequence with Bev, 
you know, that, that, that sexual sequence with Beth. Yeah, people might walk out of the theater, but many of the people who walk out of the theater would record that, would, would, would um, you know, would, uh, they would exploit that particular sequence and yeah. sell it and, and uh, you know, and use it for purposes for which it was never meant. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, you know, the, the audience or the listener or the viewer is essentially the, the last character to be added <laughs> to the whole piece. You know? And so <laughs> yeah. their, their participation and their trust is essential for something to, for art to work in a way, you know, yeah. um, I'm, 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 I think. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. But, and particularly with the case of, of Stephen King, because he says, described himself as a kind of, the kind of writer that sort of um, stands alongside a potential reader and sort of taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, do you want to come see something cool? Come <laughs> <laughs> and have a look at this. And in doing that, you trust him. You go, yeah, all right, come on then. What, what's this cool, cool thing you've got to show me then? <laughs> Well, again, it's not for salaciousness, you know. It, no. it may it may appear that way. It's not just for the jump scare. Oh, it's, yeah. There's something else going on. Uh, he's a and, and that's the that's the thing, Stephen. I think you, that word jump scare we used it in our last episode because it is often that I think the difficulty is sometimes it gets reduced to jump scares when it's on the screen, and yeah. For me, King isn't a horror writer. I'm not a huge horror fan. I'm not a huge horror guy at all. I love writers. And for me, he, he is an author that is as important as, you know, Irving Dickens, you know, Fitzgerald. Absolutely. Because he's, yeah, there's aspects of horror too. Some of it, a lot of them there aren't at all. Um right. It's so much more than just the jump scares. And we spend a lot of our time, you know, people, we, we, we obviously do a Stephen King podcast and people go, oh yeah, I, I, I'd love to listen, but I don't like horror. It's like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, I get it. Again, people want headlines, don't they? They want it easily digestible. This guy right. does that. This person right. is in that lane. And I don't know if we've become less tolerant of being able to blur lines and, you know, I, we I want it all packaged, even- right? Well, living and experiencing art and living just day to day requires effort, requires conscious effort, I think. Mm. We have to think things through. We have to, which isn't to say you can't be spontaneous, but um, too frequently uh, art and, uh, and media is reduced to the jump scare or the titillating image or the, the, the easy joke. And now we go to commercial. There's something that's required um, and, and, and even in the, the authors that you just listed, it requires deep participation and effort on the part of the, the reader yeah. uh, and um, where we have to trust and we have to, we have to use our, old, our, our faculties. We're not just sitting there having it, you know, being slapped or splashed by this stuff. That's a mistake. And, and that's, yeah. what, that's why I find myself in trouble with this fucking thing. You know, I'm, I'm on it. I, I realize that I've become addicted to, you know, this algorithm which has, you know, lodged itself in my head, and I can't live without this kind of two-dimensional, constantly reeling in my attention, yeah, and, and making me a passive observer, making me a passive participant, yeah. 
but, but with that, you're also, you know, it's great because you are clear about your views, your opinions, and, and you know, following you on Instagram and all of that. There's no, no, you know, you don't hide what you think and you feel. And what's that like? Uh, but I think it's, I think it's illusory. I have to say, and, and I'm kind of glad we're talking about it because I need to give it up because I'm not sure how effective it is. I feel like it's, uh, I, I feel like it's just, it's just more mayhem and and churning, boiling. What am I trying to say? It's 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 mock involvement. It's it's mm. it, 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 this is an extension of the inside of my head. It's not an active. It's not a tool that will really activate me. It, it's um, mm-hmm. it's just easy for me. As righteous as I think my opinions are, they're no better or worse than any kind of right-wing lunatic that's spewing some crap because ultimately it's all about this kind of corporate mill that is grinding things up and it makes no difference what it is um maybe i'm I'm going off the the subject but I, i i think it's a mistake for me to to have revealed so much of my 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 opinions because a a lot of them are just second third fourth fifth hand opinions like everybody else's and uh, even though my i fall on the side of things where i think i'm correct and yeah wrong and they're trolls and everything i think i've made the mistake of of, of doing exactly what uh you know these kind of corporate overlords some of <laughs> You know, want us? They just—they don't give a shit what you're talking about, just as long as you're talking. Yeah, you're distracted from, you know, from 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 speaking with human beings. I mean, yeah. like, an, and and the the problem that and it becomes clear to me because even as late as yesterday, I got into some sparring match with some guy from his basement. For all I know, I mean, what the what the fuck am I? What am I doing? I should kind of block him or whatever but i just got offended and <laughs> and i and i watched myself for about an hour gleefully <laughs> saying oh boy i'm doing some great work hey, mom are you proud of me no i'm i'm, I'm being like a like, you know like like a like a um, somebody a bug or a lizard that's been prodded like <laughs> behaving a certain way um, and, and, and ultimately, I think, look, you know, if I if I want to make my opinions known, I should become a real activist and not mm. just some armchair, you know, lefty asshole. But which I, <laughs> I am, and uh, <laughs> um, and also I don't think it benefits me as an actor. You know, already I've, I've exposed too yeah. much of my working, so people will say, "Yeah, I don't believe you. You're the shallow dope." But again, though, it's that thing of it's often then if you do use your platform as having a voice, having, you know, people that follow you, that listen to you, you know, so many actors or musicians that are activists, then they can't, then they just get shit for going, well, stick in your lane, you know, Bono, what the fuck are you talking about? Just sing the songs, don't get involved with, you know, all the work that you do because you're a wanker if you do that. Don't you get involved in, don't you, you know... So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, almost, yeah. it feels. Look, we're, we're all citizens and we're entitled to yeah. express ourselves. Absolutely. But, uh, I think one of the problems is that even our, the way we express ourselves have become, <laughs> become commodified. And, is, um, and, uh, and, and as a result, it's, 
you know, there's a price on everything and it's become less effective. What still works is people taking to the streets. What still yeah. works is people protesting, showing up, voting, mm. that type yeah. of thing. Just to steer it back to the subject, it almost, it almost sounds like we were talking about uh, filming Stephen King's works. You know, there, it's really hard to capture the full breadth. Yeah. You know, and, and so what you're left with is just, okay, we only have two hours uh, to get this massive story in. So we got to cut this out, cut this out, trim this, yeah. trim that. And just give people jump scares, uh, some nudity, and uh, some photography, <laughs> and, you know, scary musical stings. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. You know, and that's go to Facebook, and that's Twitter, and that's Instagram. <laughs> it's, it, we're going to break it down, and, and, and technology is kind of approximating what we already are in possession of. Yeah. We're able to talk and communicate with nuance, and look, look at my hand, just doing this, you know, and you're all nodding. You, know, you don't see that in a text chat. Yeah, totally. But, but, but they have emojis. They have this. <laughs> emoji, and it's, I, I, what, what the fuck are we doing? You know, technology is kind of... Bringing yeah. us backwards, it's reducing us. Years ago, my, when my kids were young, we passed a, a storefront that had an old typewriter in the, uh, in the window. And we went in, and, and they looked at the typewriter, and they were like, what, what is the... What is, and the, the, keys, the keys clumped together, and they panicked. You know, it just kind of unclumped the keys. <laughs> it's just fascinating. Also, look on YouTube. Uh, there's, I, I saw this video of a a father taking his 14 and 15 year old sons and saying, okay, here's a dial. Here's a rotary phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Go four minutes. Today. And they barely made it at the three minutes, 57 seconds. They were able to figure out the, yeah. You know, the, the kind of uh, interface. <laughs> why, why, why the emergency number over here, 999 would take the longest to dial. I don't know. <laughs> Dead. Too late. Why are you doing like that? Yeah. How about just shouting help? Just fucking shout help, man. Might as well be quicker. It's got it's, it's got its beauty in that it means that something like this can happen. When it's used well, it's just the fact that it can bring us together. Human beings have, have kind of, you know, in my opinion, have always been presented with opportunities to uh, to to improve their states and to mm. to raise their their sights and their you know and to make them mm. and to better themselves. But what what's the first thing they do when technology comes is they use it for porn. You know, <laughs> the, the telephone. You know, and then fax people. You know, and then film and yeah. and what else? Their phones. It's like that's a, hey, this is really fantastic. Boom! You know, let's just go right to the. <laughs> so in a way it just shows you I think we're programmed to just kind of we're not we're not long I give humanity about a thousand more years before the earth is like yeah fuck off well but yeah it, it's doing a good job now isn't it of oh, going yeah. right you know what I, I think yeah. we, we've had enough of you so we're, yeah, we're, we're gonna, done we're done yeah, you, yeah. exactly we're, yeah. we're going to bring polio back let's bring let's see oh, yeah, you- yeah I know yeah, polio, monkeypox. I mean, it's all again. You know, I read the stand during uh-huh. during the height of the pandemic, uh, Stephen. Well, you know what? I found 
real comfort in it. And it's that weird thing I've uh, I heard King once talk about. Actually, there's real comfort in sometimes the horror. Because at the time, I looked around and go, well, hey, at least it's not Captain Trips. You know, it's... Right. You know, one of the, one of the things that, that a lot of these kind of dystopian stories or, uh, or even films that I used to see of the future never quite got right was the... The, the fact that human beings are, you know, are so fallible and kind of dumb. I mean, maybe I'm not expressing myself. It's like, they, I feel like they didn't get the politics. And then we could talk about Orwell, obviously, as being a mm. dystopian, futuristic society or you know, Huxley or whatever. But um, there's something so fucking dumb about people. How, how or rather how, how quickly and easily they are, thwarted from being their best selves how much effort it takes mm -hmm. to raise their raise the level of their perception their existence whether it's religion or politics or philosophy it's like the, people always fuck it up somehow yeah. it's the easiest thing to do i think well I th yeah i think you're i think you're absolutely right and this is a an interesting segue to something i definitely wanted to ask you about which was um your your part in nightmares and dreamscapes oh, yeah one of those one of those stories is called uh one of the adaptations is called the end of the whole mess right and it's about um it's about two brothers and one of them's a, a, a complete prodigy he's a he, he's, he's a genius and what he invents is something that he can drop into the atmosphere that sort of takes away everybody's spite and their meanness <laughs> and their aggression um, and of course, the world is turned into paradise for about five years because humanity stops um, making war and building bombs and, and, and things like that. But unfortunately, one of the long term effects of the drug is that it um, brings on um, dementia. Wow. To one extent or another. And eventually the whole human race just mm -hmm. sort of comes to a stop because it can't take care of itself anymore yeah. and i wondered if one of the points that stephen king was trying to make in in that story is that it's not having the aggression that that's the problem it's the it, it's it's how you respond to it and how you deal with it and the, and the internal struggle that you have to have in order to come out on top well that that's as a, as a better person that's what we're talking about earlier when when i said you know People need to make the effort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, and again, to use another stupid metaphor, if we're boats upon the sea, the waves are just going to keep coming. We have to learn how to navigate, and that's yeah. always the thing. And and one of the one of the issues that technology purports to do is give us the tools to navigate. And sometimes it works, but a lot of times it doesn't mm -hmm. because we already have we already are equipped with certain tools that are perfect, perfectly suitable to the to this environment. And um, and so I think it's a mistake to constantly look beyond what we already have, you know, what, what is already mm. in many senses perfected, you know, after you know, the millennia. But I, but I think I think human beings, uh, their main floor is that as a species is the ego, the, the idea that they cannot permit the I the. They permit the, the concept that there's anything other than them out there. You know, I love how. Human beings are the most are the most uh, highly evolved creatures on the earth. I'm not sure I believe that. I think maybe seals are or eels. 
Uh, they don't need hands. They don't need any. They're per- so suited to their environment, <laughs> their purpose, that everything that we have that we've ascribed greatness to is just this, um, uh, what is it? It's, it's this extraneous kind of, we don't, we have to be, we have to be smoothed down. We're so rough. <laughs> we never, we could never live in any environment really, unless we kill, uh, make something, uh, you know, and so we've had to convince ourselves that these are great. These are great things. Mm. These are, no, the, the great things are all around us. You know, the, 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 the whale is perfected. The, 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 <laughs> Bird is perfected. You know, they're fulfilling their their kind of genetic their their special imperative perfectly. We're losing. We're freaking out all the time. We're always this far away from being obliterated. <laughs> one, of the, one of the many one of the many lines of of dialogue, which I think is um, is wonderful in James Cameron's Aliens is um, when Ripley's speaking to Burke at the end of the, towards the end of the film, when they found out that he is actually going to completely betray them. Uh, at least that, that was his plan. And even with Ripley's experience of these creatures, she, she says to him, you know, Burke, I don't know which species is worse. At least you don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage. <laughs> That's kind of it. That's it. That's kind of it. Hold it one second. Alexa, stop playing. You see, when you live alone, when you live alone, you program her to kind of intervene and occasionally pop by and hello, you know. That's that's what I have Alexa to do. She pops by and she plays a song for me. Oh, well, she's going, listen, you're slagging off technology. She's like, right, I'm I'm gonna get (laughs) I'm gonna get my voice heard. She's listening in, right? That yellow light is flashing that Yeah, what is that? <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one. It, it's yeah, that? for me, it's like it's like why does it suddenly go? On? But again, I just go, oh hey, never mind, doesn't matter. But I don't know. They could be who's listening in. But for what are they fucking listening in for? And what do they have banks of people listening? Is it like yeah. Brazil? You know what the fuck? I, yeah, I, 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 exactly. In my house, it's mainly people going, hey, do you need the toilet? Right? Okay. Oh, exactly. Daddy, daddy. Oh, yeah, there really is not much to listen on. Yeah, there's not. It's me talking to my dog. What is, what is that? It doesn't do anything. That's how I talk to my dog. Who's your good boys? I like, fuck off. Good boys. Fuck off. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I love you. You give me food, but rest assured, if I find your body, I'm going to devour it. <laughs> if you're dead, if you have a, one of your strokes. I'm going to fucking <laughs> your motherfucking face. <laughs> hey, we got the antiseptic wipes there, so I'll make sure everything's all good, and then... <laughs> Why do you think I keep them around? Well, exactly, man. You're prepared. You're prepper, right? you got to be a... <laughs> Listen, I have a friend of mine. He calls himself a liberal prepper. He's so out of his mind. Great actor. I won't tell you his name, but he's a fucking great dude. Um he loves his weaponry. He loves all that shit. And I, you know, like occasionally I, I will, again, I will get pulled into some wormhole where I'm thinking, Oh, I got to get myself a, I better get an electric generator, a solar powered, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm yeah. living by the sea. The tides are going to rise. What am I going to do? A few months ago, you know, when obviously headlines, nuclear reactors being attacked and I was like, okay, so people are prepping. I got to prep. My attempt at prepping was I went to online and bought some pot noodles. 
Because <laughs> I record from a basement that's actually an old bomb shelter. So I'm like, well, I got that oh. bit. I got that bit sorted. Okay, that's great. But I need some stuff. So I bought some water and some pot noodles. And the other day, my wife was like, she came down and she said, you know, you really got to eat those pot noodles because they're going to expire soon. It's like, oh, God, I, I didn't even get that right. To say nothing of the fact that if, if you're in your basement, in your bomb shelter, in the event of some sort of um, nuclear oh, yeah. attack, the electricity is not going to be running, I'm guessing. So how are you going to boil the water that you need for your pot noodle? Well, yes. with, you could have just boil it. Uh, he's just going to keep it there. And when the nuclear attack comes, that whole fucking room is going to turn into like a slow cooker. The water will be boiling, my friend. Okay, so you, <laughs> at least you've thought this through. We might as well just, if we want to snack, just put corn kernels, unpopped corn kernels in your mouth and stick your head in the microwave <laughs> so that you don't have to, so they'll just pop in your mouth and that's it. You know, so that's the logic behind that. <laughs> I'm so lazy, I've got a thing I might try with my, my dinner later. Oh, let, let, <laughs> my microwave oh, dinner. Yeah. Uh, put it in my mouth and put it in the microwave. Yeah. <laughs> Steven, no Steven, mouth, said, no. Steven said, do it, yeah. yeah <laughs> inquest, into, yeah. In, inquest into London actors' death. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Stephen did say do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stephen Leonard told me to do it. <laughs> the voices. Don't even kid around. Don't even kid around. <laughs> <laughs> Well, boys, this has been fun. Nah, it's it's just been it's been such a laugh. Thank you Talk all day, and we're best friends. And I'm going to be calling you for money soon, and <laughs> stopping by and say, "Hey, it's me." It's nice. <laughs> hey, May. Can I see your bomb shelter? And uh, this is really nice. Yeah, I'm going to save. I'm going to save a pot noodle for you. All right, there's one, Stephen, with your there's name one. on it. All right, all right. I promise, one. man. All right, <laughs> there is so much love for what you do and what you've brought to life so it's it's, it's been an absolute joy talking to I, you i really appreciate it i hope i'm not just kind of ending it but i i really do have shit to do today yeah <laughs> that's all right you're allowed all to right. have a life i have a, I, I i should have a bit of life left uh, <laughs> but no thank you very much for taking the time to talk about me and talk about me to me, with me. <laughs> As I say, this, this, uh, the it recording was. I think it's the thing uh, of which I'm most proud. So, I appreciate all the, all the affirmation and uh, and your appreciation. So, thank you so much. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Take care, man. Bye, boys. Keep in touch. Yeah. Right. Don't don't forget me. Oh, Colin, how you doing? Then? Oh yeah, great. How's it was? How's how's How's, how's Iris? Is she good? All right, fantastic. All right, bye. Can. King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.